This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. In the studio with me right now, I've got uh, National MP for Hamilton West, Tim McIndoe. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Brian. And a pleasure to have a few quality moments with you. And uh, good morning to everyone listening. Yeah, right. Not all that uh, warm and uh, tropical out there, but I guess it is still... Uh, coming in towards the middle of winter? It's coming towards the middle of winter. Actually, the 16th of July, I gather, is the middle of winter. That must be. So, so it's coming up and uh, short, shortly. But the weather today is heavy rain at times, especially in the west, and uh, possible thunderstorms too. So, yeah. Oh, well, you can bring a bit of sunshine into <laughs> our lives, Brian. Uh, we'll do our best <laughs> anyway. Uh, of course, the, the black cloud that's still hanging over us in a certain degree is the COVID-19. And, yes. of course, in other parts of the world, it's just gone rampant. Yes, it is. It seems that the figures in other parts of the country just continue to get worse. Uh, sorry, in other parts of the world. Yep. Not in other parts of the country, <laughs> in other parts of the world. And uh, that was to be expected. It's going to take a very long time. This is a global pandemic, and those sorts of things aren't overcome quickly. Right. In fact, uh, I know there are some people who aren't all that thrilled at the thought of a vaccine but most of the scientific evidence seems to suggest that there will only be um, a really significant overall reduction when yeah. a vaccine is available. I mean these things tend to go in bell curves let's hope that we'll start to see a downward trend uh, in the near future but yeah. in order to be really sure I would think that most of the epidemiologists will want to see a vaccine yeah. and that's why so many countries are working very hard on it at the moment yeah. uh, but it could well still be some time away Well it's certainly something I'd never even dreamt of you know and I think uh, we were cruising along so nicely in the world and uh, Yes we were, I suppose if you go back and look at swine flu and SARS and we Ebola were, and all yeah. the various other things that have either been pandemics or at least regional epidemics yep. uh, when I say regional I mean regions of the world Yes, uh, it does seem that every so often something like this comes along and really takes a huge toll I mean obviously a tragic human cost for those mm. who are personally affected either uh, through death or losing somebody close to them um, and I guess we'd have to assume that it'll be just a few more years and we'll we'll be talking about another one. Let's hope it's not as uh, bad as COVID, but uh, sure. these things do seem, seem to mutate up, and so there's always know. constant varieties yep. uh, and that's why in trying to develop a vaccine, they're sort of dealing with this one, but it's a bit like putting your <laughs> finger in a dike, I guess, wondering where the next hole's going to pop out. Right. There we go. Um, what would you say the main economic pressure is on at the moment? How, how should it oh, be? It's definitely on employment because yep. there are so many businesses that have been feeling the strain. Uh, I was speaking at a meeting for a colleague down in Pataruru uh, a couple of Fridays back yep. and there was somebody there from the tourist industry, a, a, a small business in the tourism industry, and she was oh. obviously a very determined sort of person, had to admire her um, willingness to be ad adaptable and she wasn't, um, certainly wasn't looking for sympathy but the fact of the matter is that with the borders closed there are just no international tourists coming through the doors. Uh, New Zealand doesn't have a big enough population to be able to sustain 
the tourist industry on our own and so right. there are all sorts of businesses that are under pressure we've heard lots of job losses already even quite substantial uh, chains yeah. you know having to either shut branches or in some cases go out of business altogether yeah that's meant that we've already seen a lot of job losses there are tens of thousands more predicted just before the election which is now less than three months away mm. by Christmas potentially a hundred thousand or more I mean who knows these are only predictions but yeah. the the trend would suggest that we're going to get a lot more bad economic news and so as a result of that all of the emphasis or at least we in the National Party believe that all of the emphasis needs to go on to trying to save jobs, uh, protect businesses, minimise the job closures, because ultimately that's what people's livelihoods depend upon. It does indeed. And if you suddenly find yourself unemployed, uh, that puts enormous pressure on families. Yep. Even though there is welfare assistance there for many, if you're trying to raise a family, pay off a mortgage and do all the other sorts of things that you do dependent yeah. on an income. Suddenly to lose that income when it, just a few months ago that was entirely unpredictable Absolutely. Is, is devastating. Because the, I mean, the whole uh, tourism thing's closed down. That's right. No planes coming in with tourists. Uh, places like Queenstown and that must suffer greatly. They ha yes, they have been. Uh, Queenstown, of course, we thought of as one of the most prosperous and attractive parts of the country. It's still very attractive, attractive yeah. but it's uh, nowhere near as prosperous and has really been doing it tough because they so depend on that international tourist dollar. Yep. Uh, I have been encouraged because uh, as an MP, obviously, I fly up and down between Hamilton and Wellington yep. regularly for Parliament. Uh, I have been encouraged to see how full the planes have been uh, just in the last couple of weeks. Good. It seems that... Uh, within the country people definitely are moving around again and that's got to be good for Air New Zealand and it means that there's a lot of economic activity generated with all of that movement. Yes. Uh, obviously more meetings being held and business activity taking place but as you say the borders are closed and mm. it looks as if they will be for some time because unfortunately with the last few weeks having shown that our quarantining and managed isolation programs have not been working nearly as well as we would have expected right. them to, uh, and as you know, there's an interesting thing there mm. about the Minister of Health and his decision <laughs> to throw the the Director General of Health under the bus last yes. week, which I thought was shameful. Um, but I, I, I digress. You know, we, what we are seeing, therefore, is a diminishing sense of confidence that we'll either be able to establish a Trans Tasman bubble or perhaps a Pacific Island bubble. Right. I saw that um, Colonel Bainimarama, the Prime Minister of Fiji, was talking about it and obviously keen to get New Zealanders back into Fiji. I know the Cook Islands yeah. are as well. They've been heavily dependent on tourism from both Australia and New Zealand. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, with these setbacks in our own internal procedures, it is going to um, hold that back, I would think, for some time. Yeah. And that's why it's so important not just to have the protocols and, and say, well, this is what we expect, but to ensure that it is working yep. and not to have some of the chaotic lack of management that appears to have taken place in a few sites where um, people in quarantine or managed isolation have been able to mix with other people mm. and it all seems a bit... Um, a bit dangerous it, all around, bit, isn't it? Yes, bit and, chaotic, really. Yeah, and obviously it wasn't managed very well in uh, Victoria because things had settled down and then mm. suddenly Melbourne's place you don't want to go That's to. That's unfortunately true that uh, we're seeing in Victoria um, a, a spike again yeah. when we don't want that here. And I think all New Zealanders deserve huge credit for the fact that 
we've all done our bit during the lockdown yep. to um, you can never eliminate it completely and, and that's mm. becoming apparent now as we seem to be getting new cases reported at least every other day yes uh, but it's it's largely because of the failure to manage the quarantining and isolation procedures for those coming into the country mm. what we really want to do of course is ensure that this doesn't pr uh, provoke a second wave of community transmission that's right because the last thing anybody would want to do well unless those unless people don't have to worry about the economic effect or their jobs or mm. whatever is move back up the alert levels that yeah. we we came through because yeah. we've all paid such a, a price for it yes I think most people accept that we needed to pay that price and good on everybody for that mm. but we also want to know at the end of it that um, we've done our bit and now we can start getting back to as close to normal as possible most people are behaving now, yes. with the exception of being able to leave the country. Most people now now are behaving as if we've returned to normal, but suddenly we've got this worry hanging over us. Yeah. And really, as I say, the the Minister of Health needs to take responsibility for that, not try to pin all the blame on somebody else. Right. It's, it's after all, ultimately, when you're in government, you have responsibility for yes. that. And I was amazed last week by that uh, video clip. I'm sure you saw it of him standing uh, saying, "Well." Effectively, it's all the fault of the Director General, or at least that the Director General is taking responsibility for yeah. it. And the poor Director General has worked so hard and done an incredible Absolutely. job for standing there looking like a crestfallen puppy behind him. And uh, I think the, the whole country thought this is so unfair. Yeah. This just shouldn't be happening. I know. Yeah. And how do you feel that uh, Todd Muller's gone so far? He's uh, come from nowhere, uh, uh, as some people think, anyway. Well, yes, if you weren't... Uh, familiar with his work in either the climate change yep. space or in agriculture, yep. then there's a good chance you wouldn't know who Todd was. <laughs> He's coming towards, the, excuse me, coming towards the end of his second term in uh, Parliament as Member of Parliament for Bay of Plenty. Yep. He's a very, very fine MP and I think people are starting to see now the fundamental decency and intelligence of the man mm. and he was never going to go out there sort of waving a big drum and um, he's not a sh he's not a showy individual no. but he's a man of substance and a man of great values i have enormous one, respect one gets for that him. impression yes and i think the more people are seeing now that he's just calm measured reasonable intelligent and articulate uh, these are the things that they look for in a leader clearly he's got a tough opponent going up against the current prime minister who's got a very high profile mm. and does deserve credit for yes. a lot of what happened during the lockdown and it would be churlish not to give her that credit but nevertheless Todd is leading a team who I would argue and I know I'm biased because I'm <laughs> I'm in the team but nevertheless yeah. leading a team of experience and competence yes and unfortunately behind the prime minister and her finance minister there's a real lack of those talents and most people can see that uh, so much is depending just on uh, Miss Ardern and Mr Robertson and then looking and thinking, well, goodness me, where are the others? And when they see them, yep. they're not very impressed. So we'll have a, we'll have a co competition in the election where we'll say our plan is the better one for managing the economy. We've got a proven track record of doing that through the global financial mm -hmm. crisis and the Canterbury earthquakes. Yep. We've got an experienced team. We've got a very, very capable person as an alternative prime minister. Um, take your pick. Yep. And uh, the polls last week were encouraging for us, suggesting, yeah, suggesting that that's starting to happen. So let's see how it does go. Uh, 
it slipped my mind. Who's the uh, deputy? Nikki Kay. Nikki Kay, of course. Auckland yes, Central. of course. Uh, she was Associate Minister for Education for quite some time, and then after Hekia Parata stood down, she became the Minister of Education, yep, and the new Associate right. Minister of Education is actually sitting here talking to you at, the moment, <laughs> or at that time, but yeah. of course, thanks to Mr Peters choosing a different government, I didn't get as long in the job as I would have liked, uh, but Nikki is a very capable and experienced yep. person in her own right, and provides uh, a lot of balance in the ticket. And the National yeah. Party needs to be a broad church to appeal to a wide sector of people. And I yes. think Todd and Nikki give us that balance. Good. It's interesting because Nikki and, uh, and um, what's her name, the Prime Minister, yes. were, were both trying for Auckland uh, Central, I That's think right. it was. And Nikki won. Nikki K won twice, actually. Twice. Uh, yeah. And then it was only after uh, David Shearer resigned to go back to South Sudan, where he heads up the UN um, yes. mission that the by-election in Mount Albert gave Jacinda Ardern the chance to move out of Auckland Central <laughs> and take on a seat that, of course, had previously been held by Helen Clark. Yes, it's been it's a, safe a, it's a very safe Labour And you probably even remember Warren Freer, who was I can uh, remember that, yes. Helen Clark's predecessor. I think there's still only been about four members of Parliament <laughs> for, for um, Mount Albert in the last 60-odd years. And so that gave Jacinda Ardern the chance to win an mm. electorate for the first yeah. time. But prior to that, she'd always been a list MP. And yes, she yeah. had lost twice to Nikki Kay. <laughs> and uh, so we're saying she is beatable. And Nikki was part of the team that proved exactly that. There we go. Yes. Yes, I just skipped my mind uh, about Nikki. But, uh, I thought that sounds like a pretty good mm. balance there. It is, it is a good balanced combo. Yeah. And, uh, they work well together. And uh, Nikki's got a tremendous um, work ethic. Uh, I really admire her dogged determination because, <laughs> as many people will know, she came through a very significant health setback mm, that's right. um, a couple of years that. ago yep. when she battled with cancer. And I really admire the way that she's come through come that. Back. And she's back firing on all cylinders and adding hugely to our team. Right. Now, you did uh, mention briefly uh, the shadow uh, cabinet as it were. What are you holding now? Um, I still have the ACC spokesmanship, yes. which I've had all the way through this term. Yes. I'm also the seniors spokesperson. I don't think it's just because my hair is this <laughs> nice shade of blonde, but uh, I took that over from Maggie Barry, and recently I picked up the civil defence portfolio. All oh, right. Which, of course, isn't one where you have much opportunity to uh, <laughs> get a lot of impact in opposition, but it is a fascinating portfolio, and we all expect our civil defence uh, regime to be first rate so that it can yes. uh, cope with any disaster which will usually come completely without warning yep. and just in recent times we've seen with the regularity of earthquakes some of the floods that have happened the Fakari White Island tragedy yeah, and terrible. so forth yes. how often civil defence emergencies do happen mm. so while as I say, I don't expect that I'll be hogging the front page day after day as the opposition spokesperson. If I were to be appointed to a cabinet post, yeah. including that position, then I would know that I would always have to have in the back of my mind whatever that I've got mapped out for the day or for the week might all suddenly be blown up. Yep. Oh, that's possibly a bad choice of words, but it might suddenly just have to go just by the wayside yep. if an emergency happened because clearly you then just have to react as quickly as possible right. and ensure that all of the resources that are available to us to minimise the human cost of tragedies and to um, ensure that the, the responses appropriate and rapid can be deployed. Fair enough too. Now, uh, of course, the other thing is uh, that came up and a bit of a uh, 
quandary there about the police and firearms. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where's National Stand on that one? We supported the first um, tranche of firearms, yep. which uh, legislation in the immediate aftermath of the mosque massacre last year. And I'm sure people will remember yep. that there was a lot of concern over the fact that the gunman had been able to use a semi-automatic weapon of a type that the rapid action nature right. that just meant yeah. that he was able to mow so many people yeah. down in such a horrific and horrible, tra- yeah. tragic way. Um, so we supported the restrictions that the first set of... Uh, the first tranche of legislation brought through. However, we did not support the second tranche, and that was largely because we have been very concerned that the gun buyback scheme has not been nearly as effective as the government would have hoped or that they're trying to tell you. Right. And sadly, the um, the dreadful incident that happened the week before last, which saw another police officer slain Shot. in the course yeah. of just routine duties yeah. um, that was by a person yeah. using that type of banned weapon, so mm. clearly he didn't surrender it during the gun buyback, uh, have shown that that has not been as effective as we all would have wished it to be. Plus, we thought that there were um, unreasonable sort of restrictions being put on those who have perfectly legitimate reasons for owning a rapid action uh, rifle, including those who engage in predator control. A lot of farmers need them, um, but also those who are recreational shooters in um, well-managed, licensed um, premises, sporting shooting ranges, you name it. And it, do, it does seem that, unfortunately, the second tranche of legislation just doesn't meet um, no. its objectives and is probably penalising those who are good, lawful, safe users of firearms yep. who can be trusted to lock them away securely in their gun cabinets at home or whatever. Yep. Meanwhile... Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any evidence at all that those who we would not want to have those weapons in their hands, and they are weapons when those people hold them, yep. um, doesn't seem to have worked. And so uh, we don't think that the government has got it right, and it will be very interesting to see whether they're forced to amend their legislation yet again down the yes. track. I'm surprised there were so many of those guns around anyway, because I remember when I was young and we were on the farm, we had a a point twenty two, yes, and yeah. it was um, yeah. If you wanted to shoot a rabbit or something, you know, but the I I would think that even if you were a person that goes out into the bush, and, uh, and that sort of thing, you don't need a machine gun to shoot a deer. No, you you would probably well. I'm I'm not a deer shooter. In fact, I'm not a hunter at all. No, so I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on firearms. But I do know that you mentioned rabbits a moment ago. There are parts of, say, central Otago, where in the summertime you can just see rabbits, and probably not just in the summer, <laughs> just it looks as if the whole hillside is yeah. moving. Now, taking a point twenty-two and taking a pot shot, you might get one of them, but the rest of them all scurry down their burrows <laughs> or over the hill and far away, uh, <laughs> whereas a rapid-action um, rifle being used by somebody engaged in that type of predator control is needed in order for them okay. to be able to at least try to manage the problem they've yep. got there. And it is a huge problem. Yeah. So th- th- there are some valid grounds <coughs> excuse me, for having those rifles, but we need to be very careful about who does have them. Yeah. And unfortunately, at the moment, we seem to have a system where, where those who want to have them for criminal purposes have given um, a one-finger salute to those who were running the, mm. the gun buyback scheme 
and we wait to see whether there will be any really significant enforcement yep. to to recapture those um, guns, those firearms, which we would not want those people to have. And yeah. everybody lives in fear, I guess, yep. of coming into um, contact with somebody in the circumstances that tragically Constable Matthew Hunt did mm. just the Friday before last. Mm. Well, time's running out on us, Tim, and uh, the election's coming up September the 19th. Uh, I see the uh, your Labour opposition man has put up quite a few signs yes, he's around. Yes, he's got a lot of signs up. Mine are just go, We've got some of mine up, and they'll just go up in a slightly more staggered and me <laughs> measured way. After all, it is still nearly three months out. And yes. I People get sick of seeing them, <laughs> in, you know. I think he's too, a, too many, but good yeah. on him. He's, yes, he's got plenty up there. And that's, he, he's that's of fine. Indian background, though, isn't he? That's right. He's a yeah. doctor yeah. Uh, initially from India, though he's been living in Auckland for um, quite a while. For, he, I think he grew up in Auckland and has recently moved down to Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, so he's, a, he's a thoroughly nice, decent fellow. I, sure. I, on a personal level, we get on very well, and I'm sure that we will have uh, a, a good, spirited campaign debating the issues yes um but free of any sort of nasty personal stuff and we've managed to do that before so um <laughs> right. uh, yeah as i say he's i i drive around looking at his face on fences and think <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll, we'll get a few get a few more of mine up but yeah. uh, at the moment you're only allowed to have the smaller hoardings uh, oh, right. under the hamilton city council bylaws that uh, won't be until the 19th of July that the bigger ones can go up. And uh, after that, you can expect to see a lot more. <laughs> and although the election is on the 19th of September, don't forget that with advanced voting, uh, about a fortnight before, the first people will be starting to cast right. their vote. And the Electoral Commission is anticipating that the majority of people will vote before Election Day. Right. Last time, okay. I think it was about 45%. Oh. This time, even before COVID, they were banking on maybe up to two-thirds. Yep. And I think with um, COVID, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes even higher than that. Ah. So while Election Day will still be important, mm. it does have quite an impact on the way you run a campaign because if there's not much point in going and talking <laughs> uh, to a, an audience of people four days before the election, only for them to turn around and say, well, that was lovely, dear. And I, this has happened to me before. That yeah. was lovely, dear, but we've already voted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, we wish you all the very best, and you're flying down to Wellington. And, uh, That's right. And uh, a busy week down there. No We've got another busy week. We had a long week last week because yes, Parliament was sitting under urgency, yeah. but the stuff that they were dealing with was far from urgent. Uh, so I think it just shows that this government's a little bit out of control. They spent so much time in the first two and a half years doing nothing and filibustering, and now suddenly they want to get a whole lot of legislation through. But anyway, we'll go down. We'll have another week down there. And I think it's only uh, about... Four more sitting weeks, something like that. Four yeah. or five sitting weeks until Parliament rises, rises for the election. For the, election so yeah. the end, the end of the current Parliament, uh, Parliament, sorry, <laughs> is fast approaching. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/slash Free FM eighty nine to find out more.